You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church Podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's Word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Yesterday, um, I celebrated 11 years of marriage uh, to uh, my lovely wife, uh, Emily. And um, in 11 years of marriage, we were uh, on Friday sitting down for for lunch. Uh, We were kind of joking that we decided to do a lunch um, date. And um, somebody had told us that as you get older, as your kids are out of the house and things like that, you can go uh, to do a a lunch date and you can eat at some of the same restaurants that have great food but get uh, cheap price off the lunch menu uh, than the dinner menu. And uh, I, I envisioned when I heard that, that would be cool to do one day when our kids were older and, you know, we could uh, do the lunch special. I just didn't envision it when our kids were like three under three and an eight-year-old that we would be doing the lunch special uh, for our anniversary uh, date. Uh, but uh, over 11 years of marriage, um, <clears throat> I haven't learned much um, and have made a number of the same mistakes. Uh, but one of the things that I've learned and those 11 years of marriage is that communication is foundational to a healthy marriage. Um, now, I've had my share of communication miscues and missteps, and uh, I won't recount all of those today. And um, <clears throat> since Emily's not here, I'm going to recount hers. And I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, the the, the truth is, any relationship uh, that you care about, um, uh, it matters that you communicate well with the other person. It matters that you are known uh, and that you seek to know uh, the other person. It matters that you bear your heart and your burdens and that they hear and receive and bear those burdens with you, that they enter in. Uh, to those burdens. And, and sometimes one of the things that can get us caught up is when we grow close to someone, the familiarity that we have in our relationship can lead us to dull the intentionality with which we listen and we communicate. Uh, and so you think you know what the other person is going to say, or you think that they're responding the way that they responded the last time that you went through this circumstance. You think that we're, they're going through the same thing that they've been through before. And so maybe you put on those autopilot ears or that autopilot response and you respond the way that you have in the past, or you respond the way that you think um, is best rather than really listening and understanding. Sometimes familiarity can dull uh, our ability uh, to listen and to communicate well with others. Well, <clears throat> when it comes to the foundational uh, discipline and privilege of the Christian life, prayer, uh, the same is true. Sometimes our familiarity with God can lead us to take for granted the privilege that we have to come before Him in prayer. Sometimes our familiarity with God can, can also uh, lead us to take for granted what we hear in His Word and how that's us listening to Him and, and provoking us to respond to Him in prayer. Sometimes, just like in relationships and in life, the burdens and the struggles that you're going through, the circumstances of your life, can sometimes cloud your ability to hear and respond well uh, to that other person. The same is true when it comes to prayer. Sometimes the difficulties, maybe you're walking through a trial or uh, a challenge in your life, it can make it difficult for you to want to go to God in prayer. 
Maybe sometimes you, you blame the other person in your relationship for the challenge that you're going through. How easy it is for us to blame God for the challenge or the difficulty that we're going through. Uh, and, and in the same way, uh, in our relationships, when it comes to prayer, we, we all know how foundational it is, how important it is. And, and pretty much everyone uh, would, would agree, uh, if you're thinking about it from a, uh, the Christian perspective, a desire to approach God in prayer. And yet all of us feel like we, were, we wish we were better at praying and we wish we prayed more. Uh, we, we, if you want to bring up something that makes Christians feel guilty, the, the two things that are sure to do it is talk about evangelism and to talk about prayer. Um, it's a it's a challenge for us because sometimes it's the busyness of life, the difficulties of life, the familiarity with God that just kind of allow us to look with indifference or, or even bewilder us to know how to pray. Uh, sometimes it can be familiarity with God. Other times it can be our uncertainty in coming to God that we're not quite sure what to do. Uh, it, it can lead us to a place sometimes that we, we don't quite know the right words to say to God or, or, or the right way to approach him. And so sometimes when you do something difficult, you know, like when you put together uh, Ikea furniture, uh, sometimes it's just best to walk away. Right. Like you, you, the, the instructions don't make sense. You've already said things that you shouldn't have said. Uh, you've already uh, you know, you've already gotten frustrated beyond what you should do. You may need to just step away. Sometimes we do that when prayer seems difficult. We don't know the words to say, the way to approach God, and we can get discouraged and even overwhelmed, and we just think, uh, what's the use? Uh, I don't know how to do it. I'll let other people do it. Uh, and, and, and so we, we come to this foundational aspect of the Christian life, uh, and I want us to be encouraged. Over the next six weeks, we're going to look at the question that the disciples asked Jesus. We're, we're going to look in Matthew 6 for the next three weeks at the Lord's Prayer uh, as it's given there in the Gospel of Matthew. And then we're going to take three weeks and look at Jesus's what's called his high priestly prayer uh, in John 17 to, to see what he prayed for and how that should inform our prayers. But the Lord's Prayer is also given in Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples ask a very understandable uh, question. They had observed Jesus praying. It said that Jesus had been praying and that they were watching him. And after doing so, they turn to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. It's a disarming question. It's an encouraging question because all of us honestly probably would ask the same question. I don't know if, um, if you've had this experience, but I remember as a young Christian hearing um, seasoned believers pray and thinking to myself, man, I want my prayers to sound like that. I, like I want to pray with that type of earnestness, that type of sincerity. Um, there's this sense sometimes when you're around others who are walking with the Lord and you hear them pray, obviously there's kind of a sinful comparison that we think, well, I'll never pray like that. Um, but, but there's also this kind of good provoking that goes, man, I want to pray that way. Can you just imagine what it was like for the disciples uh, having been gathered around Jesus while he prayed? And they're like, Lord, teach us to, what you're doing. Teach us to pray like that. Teach us to pray just as you pray. And in particular, they say, even as John taught his disciples to pray. And then Jesus begins to teach them with the words of the Lord's Prayer. 
And so we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer in depth over the next few weeks. Uh, But before we jump into uh, Matthew 6 today, I wanted to kind of help frame uh, what it is that we're talking about when we talk about prayer. Obviously a familiar subject and yet helpful to to think holistically about it. Um, There's a few different resources that I would encourage you guys in. Um, The best way to learn how to pray um, isn't to read a book, though. It's to, to pray. Um, so the, the most encouraging thing I could say to you today and that I hope you take away uh, from not only today but over the next few weeks is just an encouragement to begin right where you're at talking with God. Uh, to, 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 to kind of push aside all the worries about technique and vocabulary and just focus on talking to Him. Uh, my hope is that as we look at the Lord's Prayer, it, it gives us a simple model uh, that we can wrap our, our arms around and that it can encourage us to grow uh, in prayer. Uh, But as we think about what prayer is, there are some books that I've uh, found helpful. Uh, There's a book that kind of tracks a number of different Puritan authors called Taking Hold of God uh, that um, is particularly encouraging, and you'll hear me quote a number uh, of um, of Puritan writers and Reformation writers that uh, thought a lot about the Lord's Prayer but also um, a book by Tim Keller uh, called Prayer. Um, <clears throat> uh, also, uh, he kind of reevaluated his own prayer life uh, after uh, being diagnosed with thyroid cancer and his wife being sick and walking through 9-11 there in New York City. And he just kind of returned to a number of Puritan authors and just tried to ask God to help him renew his own understanding and his own commitment uh, to prayer. And uh, the book that, that he wrote is uh, filled with a lot of uh, rich truth from um, Puritan writers, but also his own reflections and uh, a lot of different, um, uh, a lot of different kind of helpful uh, thoughts and uh, provoking thoughts that I would encourage you in. But uh, he defines prayer. Uh, I kind of adapted his list um, <clears throat> in, in these three ways. Uh, number one, that prayer is a privilege. A lot of things that we talk about uh, when it comes to prayer, we, we talk about maybe the discipline of it, the technique of it, the way in which we should approach God, and, and all of those things I think are helpful. It's foundational to, to be able to ask those questions. But before we say anything else, what we should say is that prayer is a privilege because in prayer, the ear of the one true and living God is bent towards us. Uh, God himself has given us access through Christ as a gift of His grace to come to Him. That that we come to Him not on uncertain terms, that He desires for us to be in His presence and to to make our request known to Him, but we come with a certainty that God invites us into His presence and has done everything that's necessary for us. You see, as Christians, prayer isn't just crying out, hoping that the God who's out there will hear us. But prayer for Christians is a child coming to a loving father and bearing our burdens and sharing our request and giving him the the praise and the honor that he's due. It's marked by a familial confidence rather than an uncertainty um, that, that God is there and will hear us. And so we have to remember that prayer is a privilege first and foremost to those who are in Christ. But prayer is also work. Prayer is a duty uh, for the Christian that we are called to pray, to pray without ceasing, uh, to, to pray to, for prayer to be a characteristic of our life, that, that people would come to you because they know that you're a praying person, that, that the Christian is marked by prayer. But to, to be marked by prayer also means that we practice prayer as a discipline. 
And when we think about the, the gifts that God has given us, the means of grace that God has given us to make him make us more like him, prayer is at the center of that because in prayer, God works uh, in us to make us more like himself. So prayer is work. And, and I think it's important that we say these two things up front in this order, right? I think sometimes as Christians, we can, we can be excited about growing in prayer. and We want to start with prayer's work. It's discipline. It's a duty. Let's dig in. We got some work to do. Are you praying like you should? Okay, well, let's figure out how we can go and get better at praying. And, and no doubt, I want to challenge us uh, just this week as I've read God's word and studied. My feet have been put to the fire. But I don't want us to forget that while it's a work, it's a privilege. And then ultimately, prayer is responding to the word. You see, in prayer, if prayer is a conversation with God, then to, to know how God speaks is to read his word. To hear the voice of God begins with listening to the word of God. And if by uh, God's spirit, he prompts and speaks to you, it's always in accordance with the word of God, not in contradiction to the word of God. And so prayer is always in response to God's word. That's why it's a, an intake of the word of God and, a, and an outtake, uh, an output, if you will, of the prayers of God's people, that we respond to him in prayer, that we're provoked to pray. Uh, we're provoked. There's all kinds of ways we pray to God in response to his word. Sometimes as we read his word, we respond in praise. And, and giving adoration for who God is. Sometimes we respond in confession when we begin to get a sight of who God is and then we have a right sense of who we are. How can we not respond in confession to God? God, I am unworthy. Uh, I am a sinner. Uh, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Sometimes we respond with thanks when we realize what God has done for us or what he's promised to us. We, we give thanks to him when we have received something uh, in our lives. We recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And so we give thanks to him for what he's provided to us. And then perhaps the most familiar of all, we bring our petitions to God, our requests to God. When the burdens of our heart are heavy, 1 Peter 5 says that we can cast our cares before the Lord because he cares for us. We can bring our desires and our requests to him and he hears us. And so prayer uh, is a conversation with God that's in response to his word. Now, we come to Matthew 6. And Matthew 6 verses 5 through 15 is situated within the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I think the Sermon on the Mount is, is perhaps one of the most beautiful sections of all of Scripture. Uh, I think as I, every time I read the Sermon on the Mount, um, I'm cut to the heart and reminded of both the simplicity uh, and the, the profound call of Jesus on the life of those who are in Christ, what it means to follow him, uh, to be defined by the, the, the characteristics of the kingdom of God and the beatitude, to embrace what it means to be salt and light and allow God to use us to make his glory known in the world for, for the, very, uh, the very particular aspects of the, the way we treat others, the words that come out of our mouth to the, the way we practice spiritual devotion. Matthew 6 really is about spiritual devotion, how we give, how we pray, how we fast. 
And it shows us what God desires and what pleases the Father when it comes to our spiritual devotion. And then it, it, takes, it takes us into the, to the very heart of what it means to, to be used by God in the life of others and to, to judge rightly and not to be judgmental and to, and to build our lives not on the sinking sand of our own opinion or the world's truth, but on the foundational rock-solid truth of God's Word and to follow the path that is narrow but that leads to life rather than the path that is wide and that leads to destruction. It's a beautiful text. And right in the heart of it, we have the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, before it gets into uh, the, the pattern of the Lord's Prayer that we'll look at at the end, we have a few important things that we need to address before we pray. So look at verse 5. It says, Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they will have their reward. Instead, Jesus says, when you pray, do it in private. He's not saying that we shouldn't pray publicly, but he's saying that the real test of your prayer life is not what you do before others, but what you do in secret. And he says, go there in secret, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, when we pray, we have to check our heart. Uh, Before we pray, we have to to check our heart. We often think uh, when it comes to prayer that we need to pray eloquently to get God's attention. Maybe there's the right, we need to say things the right way in order for God to hear us. But the truth is that eloquence doesn't, um, or I should say eloquence might gain the attention of man. It might impress people. But what gains the attention of God is sincerity. Powerful and verbose prayers might capture man's ear. They may perk up and say, wow, that guy, 10 out of 10, right, for that prayer. Um, But what captures the ear of God is genuine and humble prayer when we come to him recognizing who he is and who we are. See, prayer isn't so much about the right technique or the right vocabulary, but it begins with sincerity. It begins with us coming to God without pretense and humility and in honesty. See, in the ancient world, uh, merchants often, when they would sell pottery, uh, in order to cover up the blemishes and to get a little bit more money, um, for their product, they would take wax and they would cover the cracks. Uh, the, the word sincere, sincere, sincerity comes from the Latin phrase without wax, sincera. And they would put wax on uh, their, their pottery and, and cover up those blemishes so they would get more money. And so in order for people to, to communicate that something was genuine, something was authentic, that it wasn't covering up the blemishes, it was being presented as is, that they would be, uh, it would be displayed that this work was sincere. It was sincere. It was without wax. There was no pretense. There was no cover up to what was being offered. And what Jesus is saying here is that our prayers shouldn't be verbose and shouldn't be to gain the attention of others, but they should be sincere, without wax, without pretense of trying to impress others. 
In fact, that's, that's really the point I want us to see here. When we check our hearts, when we pray, we don't pray to impress others. Now, there's a particular, uh, I think, challenge here for the person who perhaps leads or serves in some public capacity uh, in the Christian life. The, the conviction that uh, the, the people that should have been convicted by Jesus's words were the religious leaders of the day, those who love to stand in the synagogue and on the street corners praying in order to be seen by others. Now, it doesn't take being a leader to do things to be seen by others, um, but Jesus particularly warns here about praying to impress others. He shows us that secrecy safeguards sincerity. So he desires that our, our spiritual devotion come from a place that's fully focused on him. If, if your devotion and worship to God is with an eye to what somebody else might think of you, then, then you're, you're divided in your heart in your worship. God wants a, an undivided heart when we come to him, whether it's when, when we sing songs, right? Church, like it doesn't matter how good or bad somebody sings next to you, right? Lift your voice to the Lord. He's worthy. Some of you are like, that's going to take some faith for me to do that. Um, but, but God calls us to, to worship him sincerely, undividedly. When we pray, you know, sometimes we, we think, well, they pray better than me, so I'm not going to pray. Well, we're not trying to impress others when we pray. We're not comparing ourselves to others when we pray. I love sometimes when when I ask my kids to pray at dinner, sometimes it's comical and we pray for things that I'm not sure we should pray for um, or, or we meander through or there's correction in the middle of the prayer or, you know, chaos in the middle of the prayer. But But sometimes like... From the mouth of babes, it cuts through all the, all the other stuff, and they just pray sincerely for that friend who is sick. Or they just pray sincerely in their own, their own way, their own words, for that person who doesn't know Jesus, that they might come to know him. It, it, it's not about being verbose. It's not about being impressive. It's about coming before God with humility and honesty. And, and, and the, the point that Jesus presses here, the remedy to this, is to never allow your public devotion to outpace your private devotion. If I can be honest with you, I told you my feet were put to the fire this week reading uh, this quote from John Owen. He said, A minister may fill his pews and his communion roll, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. What he is in secret, on his knees, before God Almighty, that he is and is no more. You see, the litmus test of the Christian life, no matter what station, what role we hold in it, is who are we when no one else is looking? Who are we before God? When, when, when we're free in a moment, do we go to God in prayer? Do we come to him? with our needs, with our desires? Do, do we have a moment where maybe it's provoked by a beautiful sunrise? Or honestly, usually the sunset is what I see. But maybe it's provoked by a moment of, uh, of just joy. Maybe it's provoked in your time in the Word. Maybe it's provoked in a conversation with someone. But do you ever in a moment, without anyone else knowing, go to God and praise Him and adore Him for who He is? When God comes through at just the right time, and provides in a way that you knew you needed. 
Do you, do you come to him out of sincere gratitude? Or are you just so relieved that that thing is, that burden is lifted that you just keep on going to the next thing? See, I think a question that, um, that not only as it relates to prayer, but Jesus relates it to how we give as well as to how we fast. It's what is our Christianity like when it's only us and God? That's the true test of our faith. And as convicting as the words are that I read from John Owen, the reality is it's true for all of us, who we are before the Lord in secret, on our knees. That's who we are. But there's also another way we try to impress in our prayer. And Jesus goes on in verse 7. He says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Now, some, some people take this to mean that the being heard is being heard by other people. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. He's, he's in the first part of verses 5 through 6. He said, don't impress others when you pray. But here he says, don't impress Don't try, don't pray with many words to impress God. You see, when when it comes to what captures God's attention, like we said earlier, it's not our many words. It's not the the intensity with which we chant words or the, the intensity with which we pray. I think sometimes we get in our minds, sometimes maybe it's a pastor that we see pray fervently or maybe a a believer or a close friend that we see when they pray for us, we feel like we're brought into the presence of God and we're like, I got to pray like that. If God's going to hear me, I got to pray with that intensity, with that eloquence, with um, with that amount of faith. And what God is saying here is, I don't need your words. You don't have to impress me. You can just come to me. I know what you need before you ask me. And that doesn't make prayer unnecessary. That comforts us that we can stammer and stumble our way into the presence of God and not even know the words to say, and that our God knows, even before we ask. And I think here, Christians sometimes get tripped up with traditions and rituals and thinking there's this right technique. And I'm not saying that there aren't helpful models that we can follow and how to come before God, but if in your model, any of it depends more on your technique and the way you say something to God. Jesus says, you don't got to impress me. I know you. <laughs> you can't impress me. But do you want to know what's amazing? What's his good gift of grace? Is though we can't impress him, he delights for us to come to him. That's the gift. Thomas Brooks, Puritan, said, God looks not at elegancy of our prayers to see how neat they are, nor at the geometry of our prayers to see how long they are, at the arithmetic of our prayers to see how many they are, nor at the music of our prayers to see the sweetness of our voice, nor at the logic of our prayers, but at the sincerity of our prayers. How hearty are your prayers? How honest are your prayers? You see, genuine prayer is greater than the most eloquent prayer. And the power of prayer is not found in our delivery, but in the divine recipient of our prayer. See, the the power of prayer is the fact that we're coming to the one true and living God. And he invited us in. We don't have to impress him. All we have to do is come. To come as we are. That's the gift and the privilege of prayer. So take the pressure off yourself. 
Get rid of whatever ideas you think you need to do to pray rightly and hear the encouragement of God's word to check your heart. Don't try to impress others. Don't try to impress God. Just come to him. He already knows that we're not impressive, but wants us to come anyway. Loves and delights when his children come to him. There's a song, a hymn written in the 1500s. Sweet words. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. That, that hymn goes on to say, What peace we often forfeit and what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's the invitation and the privilege of prayer. If we check our hearts, we can come before God with sincerity. And then we have to know the goal. Twice here, or once in our passage and three other times in this section, Jesus emphasizes uh, this point in verse, in verse 6. He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says this in verse 4 as it relates to giving. He says this in verse 18 as it relates to fasting. The, the point is in the Christian life, we can rest in the promise of God's reward that he sees us. That's why we don't have to be seen by anyone else. He knows us. That's why we don't have to try to impress him. What matters to God is true devotion, genuine devotion, sincere devotion. It's not a transaction. Some of our relationships, we can slide into this type of transactional uh, relationship. I do for you, you do for me. We measure our relationship based on what we do for one another. That's not how it is with God. God cares about our, uh, our genuine, sincere devotion and communion with him. He sees and he knows and he rewards according to his own will. He sees when we pray earnestly, when we persist in praying for a lost friend, when we don't give up on praying for a breakthrough in a relationship or for a need in our life. He sees and knows and delights to answer. And he answers in his own way. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis as it talks about understanding God's rewards that I found helpful, uh, particularly in this section, as it talks about when you give, God sees in secret and he rewards you. And when you pray, God sees in secret, he rewards you when you fast. Like it's easy sometimes to think, okay, like I give, so then God's going to give me more money. Or if I pray, then all my prayers are going to be answered. If I fast, then God's going to give me more favor. And I think that's a wrong way to view the reward, a wrong way to view how God responds to us. Lewis said that the proper rewards are not simply tacked onto the activity for which they are given, but the, but it's the activity itself in, cons, in consummation. It's the, it's, the, it's the activity that you're doing uh, in, in its fullest form, in its fullest sense. And so it's a little uh, obscure in one sense, but here's, here's what it means. That the proper reward for praying is actually having communion with the Father. The, the proper reward for praying is enjoying being in the presence of God. The, the proper reward for forgiving is, uh, is knowing that God is our provider and is going to meet our needs as we give to meet other needs. The proper reward of fasting is knowing that God is enough and we're willing to give up other things in order to trust Him. It, it's, the, it's the activity itself in consummation. And the common thread throughout uh, Matthew 6 when it comes to this reward is it may be more than this, but it's not less than enjoying the presence of God. That's the reward, to know God and to enjoy his presence. Christianity, one commentator said, is not, the, not in the end mercenary. It's not an ethic of disinterestedness. Instead, it's a relationship with God, a delight in God that motivates the reward isn't the point. The reward is God in relation with God. 
Our motivation, if we're to hold our uh, reward, is to know God and to gaze at God in his presence. It's, it's enjoying God himself. And that's what prayer invites us to experience, is to enjoy communion with God. And that brings us to the words of the Lord's Prayer. And today we're just going to focus on verse 9. But before I do, I, I want to encourage us with a word about the Lord's Prayer. The, the Lord's Prayer is obviously a very familiar passage. Um, some of you probably could quote it um, in the most beautiful uh, King James language or maybe uh, whatever Bible you read when you first became a Christian. It's one of those things that um, one of those passages that we're drawn to and is well known. Um, <clears throat> and that's been true for a long time because Martin Luther um, who has a little uh, treatise on the Lord's Prayer that I would encourage you. You can find a PDF of it and, and just read uh, what Luther said. And um, I, I just am amazed. And one of the things about Luther is um, <clears throat> like he's just pretty blunt and to the point a lot of times and, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and just has, has just this way of like sometimes you read like these old reformers and you're like, I have no idea what you're saying. The subject verb agreement here and the placement and ordering of the prepositions and everything is a lot <laughs> to handle, you know. And so but Luther is like he doesn't mess around like he's straight to the point. Um, and it's like he was at the pub and then he tried to explain it uh, to everyone there, like what God's word meant. And then he wanted to write songs that everybody could sing to praise God. God. He wanted to. He wanted people to know God's word, so he put it in the language of the people, um, and he did this with the Lord's prayer. And his practice was to pray the Lord's prayer and to pray the Ten Commandments uh, as kind of his practice. He would take uh, the different parts of the Lord's prayer, and that would provoke his prayer. And he would take the Ten Commandments and walk through them each, and that would provoke his prayer. And he's known for praying uh, up to two hours a day. He would say, I'm so busy that I must spend an hour with the Lord in prayer. That's strange today, and it was strange then. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not strange in the eyes of God. It actually makes sense for what, uh, what prayer offers us, if we could see it for what it is. But he said, in relation to the Lord's Prayer, What a great pity that prayer of such a master is prattled and chattered so irreverently all over the world. How many pray the Lord's Prayer several thousand times in the course of the year? And if they were to keep on doing so for a thousand years, they would not have tasted nor prayed one iota, one dot of it. In a word, the Lord's Prayer is the greatest martyr on earth, as is the Word of God and the name of God. Everybody tortures and abuses it. Few take comfort and joy in its proper use. So I've committed in these next three weeks to do my best not to torture and abuse the Lord's Prayer, but for us to find comfort and joy in its proper use. And, and here's, here's how the, the, the Lord's Prayer should be used for us. It is a model. Uh, it, it's not meant to be um, a verbatim um, uh, prayer that's to be recited without reflection. And in fact, that's the warning. To, to say it without reflection is what makes it a martyr according to Luther. It's what abuses it and misuses it. But it's to hear it and to understand what Jesus is teaching about the, the pattern and the life of prayer, that it would, it would give life and vitality to our own prayer. But it introduces a foundational principle to prayer that the Lord teaches us to pray, and it's in response to his word that we respond in prayer. God speaks to us in his word. God gives us this pattern of the Lord's prayer, and in response, we pray it. 
And we pray it in light of its meaning, in light of its significance. I I love uh, another author, J.I. Packer, uh, who uh, has a little book on the Lord's Prayer as well. He gives this helpful uh, illustration of the Lord's Prayer that I think encouraged me and I hope it encourages you. He said, look at the Lord's Prayer as God questioning us in order to shape our conversation with him. So the Lord's Prayer is questioning us. So it says, God says to us, who do you take me for and what am I to you? And we say, you are our father in heaven. Well, that being so, what is it that you really want most? Lord, your kingdom and your will be, be done. That's, that's what we desire. And the hallowing of your name that you would be seen and recognized as holy in me and in the world. So, so God says, what exactly are you asking for right now as a means to that end of my will being done and my name being seen as holy? Well, Lord, we're asking for your provision. We need you to provide our daily bread. God, we're asking you for your pardon and your forgiveness because we have sinned. And our only hope is that you are a gracious Savior. We're asking God for for your help to forgive others. We're asking God for your protection and deliverance from temptation and the evil one. And then with the ending of the praise, God says to us, how can you be so bold and confident in asking us for these things? Well, Lord, we're coming to you and And your word says that you're the one who has all power and all glory and all honor. And we ask it in your name, not in our name. I love that picture of God asking us the questions, provoking these questions in our heart and mind. And in response, we're saying, Lord, we come to you in adoration because you're our father in heaven. Lord, we we come to you in submission because your kingdom, uh, we want your kingdom to come and your will be done just as it is in heaven. God, we need you. We're dependent on you for, for all of our provisions. God, we need you and we confess and repent of our sin and we we ask for your empowering grace to forgive others. And, and Lord, we, we need you. We know how prone we are to wonder how weak we are in the face of temptation and before the evil one. So God, we plead with you, the one who is all power, who is in heaven, help us, God, to deliver us from temptation, to turn from our desires to sin and instead flee to you. And God, from the things outside of us that we have no control over that that seek to come against us and to accuse us and to trip us up, God, deliver us from the evil one. See, that's the the prayer, uh, the Lord's prayer is teaching us and provoking us to pray in these ways. And so verse 9, then of the Lord's prayer and questioning us, who do we take God to be that we can come to him, tells us that we begin in prayer with adoration. See, the power of prayer, as I said earlier, isn't in uh, in our eloquence, isn't in our vocabulary or technique. The power of prayer is found in the divine recipient of our prayers. It's found in who God is. And so our prayers begin with a recognition and adoration of God. And this is important because it's easy sometimes to to relegate God to being a uh, divine candy machine. That when we need something, we come to him and we put our quarter in and we turn the knob and we pray. And like sometimes we get really serious, like when you really want you know, those Reese's peanut butter cups from the vending machine and you put the money in, but it gets stuck. You know what I'm saying? And you like shake the machine because you want the candy. And like sometimes we get serious in our prayer because we really want something. And, and that's good. But as a pattern, as a discipline, as a model, God says, begin with adoration. You see, because prayer isn't about us getting stuff from God. Prayer is about us being 
aligned in heart and, and, and will to who God is and what he desires. It's us coming first and foremost in adoration and submission before we ever bring a petition, before we ever bring a request before him. It recognizes that we, we couldn't come to God if it weren't for him. And we give him praise that he's given us access to himself. And so verse 9 begins, Therefore pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Or our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It begins with our Father in heaven. And you see, we begin this way... And in doing so, when we begin recognizing who God is and adoring who God is, we're reminded of our standing before God. We're reminded of where we are in relation to God. And so we come to him as father. And to come to him as father is to come to him with great confidence. Because we do not come to him as just, though we could pray, Lord Almighty, the maker of the heaven and earth, the God who holds all things in his hands. That that is right and proper for us to come to him. But here, as, uh, as a way to remind us of our standing before God and God's disposition to us, we come to Him as Father. And so we come with confidence. And we call God Father because we've been adopted. See, perhaps a better way to say this is before adoration comes adoption. Comes the reminder that God said, I want you. I'm calling you to be in my family. And when we pray, holy be your name, we're reminded that when God adopted us into his family, he put his name on us and called us his own. See, we're adopted in Christ, according to Ephesians 1, 3, 6, blessed by God, the Father of the Lord Jesus. He's given us all kinds, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Not on the basis of our merit, but on the basis of his sovereign grace. He says that we should be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, given the the privilege, the inheritance, the the status of being a child of God through Jesus Christ. That's the foundational truth that welcomes us into the family. And then the the ongoing subjective element that reminds us of that truth is that we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so Romans 8, 15 through 16 says, You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit is, is known by the work of adoption. He's known by the ministering work in our hearts by which he reminds us that we can come to God as Abba, Father, in the most intimate of ways that we can draw near to him. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we're children of God. This is what gives us confidence. So, so here's why this matters. When you sin, I mean when you blow it, Again, it's at that moment that you're going to be most tempted to think you can't come to God. You're going to be most tempted to think God doesn't want to hear my prayer. I need to, I need to clean this up. I at least need to give it a little bit of time to demonstrate that I'm capable of not sinning. But it's at this point that God says you can come to me as father. Not because you've done it all right. Because I've adopted you into my family. And I've given you my spirit. 
And it's a spirit that doesn't lead us to run from God in fear, but leads us to draw close knowing that we have a loving father. And he can love us because his son died for our sin. And, and when the Bible tells us that in Romans 8, it goes on to say that the Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf and Jesus stands at the right hand of God in Romans 8, 35 and 36, stands at the right hand of God and intercedes on our behalf for him, for us, before the Father. It's that picture that when we come to God, we come to him not trying to plead our case, saying, well, that wasn't the real me. I didn't really mean to do that. You know how we do that sometimes? Well, I, you know, I know I said those words, but I wasn't thinking. That's not what I really meant. No, the truth is, that's what you really meant. That's what came out. That was the real deal. But when we come before the Father, He hears the intercession of the Son, who said, this one's mine. Their sin's covered. Their sin's paid for. And we can come to Him. And even when we babble with our words before Him and uncertain of of even what to say, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf because we are children of God. So we come to God as Father and we have confidence, but we also have a God who is our Father that is in heaven. Therefore, we come to Him with reverence. When we pray, William Perkins said, we we must come before God with all reverence, fear, and trembling, for He is in heaven, a most glorious God, full of majesty and power. We come to a God who's, who's great. He's our Father, but He's God in heaven. And honestly, the adoration is kind of this back and forth of these two realities. Maybe we begin with, God, you are Father, and I praise you. But Lord, you are holy and lifted up. You dwell in unapproachable light. You are perfect and righteous. I am, I am sinful. But you are my loving Father whom I can come to. God, you are glorious and, and high above the heavens. And yet... You bend your ear to those who are humble and broken and contrite in spirit. It's this dynamic of reverence and, and loving, uh, a loving father, the confidence of coming to him as father and the reverence of coming to a God who is high and lifted up and in the heavens. That we, we come with a sense of reverence, a sense of, of recognizing that we're coming to a great and glorious God. And it's that great and glorious God who loves us and calls us his children. When we think about adoring God, it's not just his, uh, his loving, uh, loving nature as a father or his holy and righteous nature as the God who is in heaven and over all. But when you think about the Lord's Prayer in and of itself, it tells you all the things you can praise God for, all the things we can adore God for. We adore him for his provision because he gives us our daily bread for forgiveness, for empowering grace to forgive others, for protection, for deliverance. When we read God's word and we see how he's acted in the past and the promises that he's made and the way in which he works and and we look at our lives today and the things that God does in us today, what is God provoking in you to adore him? What, what, What has God done that provokes you to adore him? How has God worked in your life to adore him? And allow that to animate every prayer. On one hand, as Christians, we have this Massive road ahead of us to grow as followers of Christ. And yet the key in the Christian life is never getting over how God has shown us grace. Never getting over how he saved us, how he called us to himself, how he's forgiven us our sins, how he's worked in our lives. Allow that to just always be on the forefront of your mind and your heart. 
I'm not saying you have to have some long five-minute precursor before you ask the Lord to bless the food. But I'm saying the disposition of our heart when we come to Him, maybe we ought to just stop for a moment when we say, Father, and recognize the full weight and joy and gift that it is that we get to call Him Father. And then we we go on and we see this aspect of adoration and the first request of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name or holy. May your name be honored as holy. This is an interesting request because God is already holy, right? You hallowing him as holy, which means to recognize and to set apart as holy, doesn't make him holy. He already is holy. So what does it mean for him to be uh, hallowed as holy? Well, uh, our translation that I read from today helps spell it out. To be honored as holy. It's saying, God, you are holy and I want you to be seen as holy in my life. I want my life to bear witness to the fact that you're holy. I want everybody everywhere to, to bear witness to the truth that you are holy and righteous and set apart. It's at this point that our, uh, our adoration quickly turns to confession. And petition, right? Because we say, Lord, on the basis of, of, of who you are, I, I don't reflect you as holy all the time. God, I confess, let, let you be set apart in my life and my thoughts, my actions, my words. Let my life reflect who you are. And, and, and it's at this point, that I think this begins the Lord's Prayer because sometimes it's easy for us in our familiarity with God in prayer to be ungrateful and in our ungratefulness, when we, we don't fully recognize who God is, we end up obscuring His glory. And, and what, the, what the Lord's Prayer is teaching us is as we begin with our adoration of God, we're saying, God, we want you to be seen for the fullness of who you are. I want my life to bear witness to that. I want the world to know that. And this is why prayer isn't just about getting stuff from God. First and foremost, prayer is about God changing us. It's about, our, <clears throat> about God aligning our hearts and our lives with who he is. So we adore and confess him for who he is so that our lives would come into line with that reality. We do this in a number of ways. We can hallow God's name with our minds, acknowledging him for who he is in his word, with our hearts, loving him and fearing him and trusting him above all things, with our lips, praising his name for his goodness. With our lives, aiming to please him in all things and to walk in obedience to him. It's a, it's a whole body Halloween, if you will. Um, not a Halloween, whole body Halloween. That's a different thing. This is a Halloween, a setting apart as holy. A, a God, let you be seen for who you are and the fullness of who you are in my life and in this world. So God invites us to pray. Gives it to us as a privilege. But he also teaches us to pray. And as we continue through this um, most well-known prayer, my prayer is that we don't misuse it, but we find the right comfort and joy that God invites us into uh, as we pray. And, And in order to do it, we begin with adoration. Let's pray.